All right, so we'll continue in our study on the Lord's Prayer by looking at the fourth and fifth petitions. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 11 to 12. And these uh, petitions deal with um, really drawing out our neediness um, and our dependence upon the Lord um, and uh, what we have been given in Christ. Um, a forgiveness of our sins that ought to point to thank you so much I appreciate it. Yeah. thank you um, that, that ought to point to um, our um, being ready to forgive others so Matthew 6 verse 11 to 12 um, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors So again, we're working through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. So we want to, I want to start this this class by sort of thinking together. Usually when you go to pray, what is the first thing that comes to mind uh, for you? When you go to pray, usually what's the first thing that comes to mind? Just toss it out. <laughs> it's very true. Lucy said, What do I need? <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> Robert? I remember a long time ago hearing John Piper say to pray in concentric circles. Start off like with God's glory where you honor him for sovereignty and mm. kind of go out and pray for how that affects me personally and how it affects the community around me and mm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. It's a good model. George? I'm not saying that I've always been successful at it as far as when I started off, but lately it's just a, just being overwhelmed with gratitude and privilege that we have in praying. Mm. I know I'm the king of overstating the obvious, but uh, <laughs> just being overwhelmed with gratitude. And, and sometimes it's hard for me to move on. Because it's swelling up so much. Yeah. I want to keep that flowing. Yeah. Throughout the prayer. Yeah. Because it is a huge privilege. We can call our doctor, he's not available. We can call so many people, they're not available. Yeah. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. At all times, anytime. Yep. It's a hard gratitude. Yeah. Amen. Because line is not tied up where we call and it's busy. You can't answer. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> now, those are good. A couple of you shared some uh, good models. And I appreciate, uh, Lucy, your comment as well. The fact that we do often come with what we need, what we want. Um, have any of you heard of the ACTS model in prayer? And that's something that a lot of people use. The uh, ACTS acrostic AC. T-S. Um, you guys remember what it would stand for? A-C-T-S. Confession. Yep. Thanksgiving. Yep. Good. That was a cumulative answer. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody put their thoughts together. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So it's a, a Christian, a lot of Christian, Christians use that guide to help them to think through their prayers and how they should pray. And I've used it and I've encouraged others to use it too. It's just, it's a helpful little you know, guide when we think about uh, prayer, adoration, praise, confession, confession of sin, thanksgiving, 
and then supplication. What we need. Yes, that's a that's another I've heard too. Yep. Yep. So adoration. First, you have adoration. That's another way of saying praise. Um, and the word praise is used actually over 200 times in the Old Testament, and more than half of those times, um, almost three-fourths, are found in the Psalms specifically. And it's interesting that you find, the Psalms is also a place where you find uh, much lament and downcastness and discouragement. And right alongside lament, you find praise um, throughout the book of the Psalms, which is, should be encouraging to us um, that the Lord, uh, we have in recorded scripture saints who have been uh, downcast, who have been discouraged, who have lamented deeply about their own sufferings or the sufferings of those uh, around them, the people of God. Um, and right alongside that, in the same book, in the same chapter, sometimes in the same verse, you have praise, lament, and praise. That should be encouraging to us. What about the sea? Uh, the sea and the Acts Acrostic Confession. Confession of sin. So do you remember um, in our confession of sin, the question is, do we remember who God is and do we remember who we are? Um, to sort of George's point, what you brought out a bit, remembering who we come before and when we come before God in prayer, uh, it's not um, a man who's fallible, who lies, um, who's unfaithful, um, who he's not all powerful. He doesn't have control over all things. Uh, but we come before God, uh, the God who is holy, 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 who uh, seraphim created beings cry out about this, the holiness of God. And so when we think about confession of sin, we, we want to confess uh, those things that we recognize in our own hearts, though no one else may see it, those things that we allow to grab and hold our attention and hold our affections um, and how they draw us away um, at times from, from God. And we want to recognize those things and in humility confess them, knowing that the Lord is faithful. And we do get frustrated with our, our own weaknesses um, but First John 1 John 1.9 tells us what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is faithful, and uh, this is uh, the character of God, his faithfulness. He is faithfulness. Um, it's not sort of an offshoot. He's faithful. You know, he sort of moves in and out of faithfulness. He is faithfulness. Um, and he is just. He doesn't just sweep sin under a rug, but he is just and justifier in Christ um, and punishing him for the sins that we deserve. So confession of sin. And then thanksgiving, the third letter in the acrostic, giving thanks for God's mercy and his grace, giving thanks for Christ, giving thanks for the spirit, giving thanks for his word, the church, um, and giving thanks for, because it's so common, also the assumed goodness of God. So a house to live in, uh, food to eat, a provision of a job, your transportation, the fact that you got here this morning safely, something we should give thanks for. Um, as we grow as Christians at times, we can think that um, praying for things like food, clothing, shelter, it's sort of 
those are child's prayers. We, 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 we get past that. Um, I would agree. Those are the prayers of needy children. <laughs> We're not independent people. We're not independent creatures. We're dependent upon God for all things. And so it is right and good to pray for um, our daily and to give thanks for our daily needs. From righteousness to bread. Um, supplication, the last letter on the acrostic. Uh, so, Lord, these are my burdens. These are my cares. These are my concerns. These are my needs. Um, and going before the Lord, the right one to cast those concerns and cares. Uh, Lord, help us with this supplication. Now, I go through those to say, I think it's helpful. So I do hope you keep that in mind, the Acts acrostic. But also you see these in the Lord's Prayer. You see each of these elements um, of prayer. Um, and this morning, we'll think together through the fourth and fifth petitions of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 11 to 12. So, again, somewhat of a recap. The Lord's Prayer opens with our Father in heaven. And then it moves through the petitions, starting with hallowed be thy name. And so this prayer starts by focusing us in on God's glory and then God's kingdom. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then your kingdom come, your will be done. So everything sort of moves out of that. And so with the fourth and fifth petitions, there's a transition where Jesus shows his disciples how to pray for their own needs. And, and that he teaches them to ask the Father to provide their daily bread. Now, if you notice how <clears throat> Jesus frames this petition, it's a humble disposition that we should have. So it's not demanding. It's not assuming. Um, we don't name it and then claim it when we ask him for daily bread. We ask as God's creatures, you and me, we're ultimately asking God to give us something. It's not Give it to me, Lord. It's give us our daily bread. There's a humble disposition of heart. And we, we remember in this the, uh, the order of, of prayer, the order in this prayer, our Father in heaven, remembering where he is, his position of authority and power, hallowed be your name. God is to be regarded as holy as we've talked about in the past two classes, but not just holy, but righteous, eternal, just, immutable, self-sufficient. And then your kingdom come, your will be done. <clears throat> now, if we transition from the first part of this prayer to demanding daily bread, then we don't understand who we are approaching. If we come out of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and then we say, give it to me, God. We're missing something. There's a disconnect between what we ought to understand about God's power and authority and sovereignty and goodness and his giving us our daily bread, right? <clears throat> so we don't approach God as um, demanding people. And as I came to this this part, as I was thinking through um, the fact that God is holy, and as you said, George, sort of sitting there for a time, thinking on God's holiness and who he is, 
there was so much more I wanted to say about approaching the holy God, right? So God is uniquely separate, uniquely distinct. He is unlike anything in creation. We do not approach him as spoiled, uh, demanding children, right? We approach the Holy One and regard him as he is, which is holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. And it is only through Christ uh, and his righteousness that we can even come before God asking anything um, from uh, the need for sanctification to the need for perseverance and endurance to bread today, to providing what we will eat. So we approach God with a humble disposition. <clears throat> now, um, so a verse that I think brings this out helpfully uh, is Psalm 50, verse 10b. That might not automatically ring a bell, but once I say it, you'll, it'll come to mind. So here's the verse. You can turn there, just listen. God owns a cattle on what? Thousand Hill, right? Everybody knows that. If you haven't, you don't, if you don't remember reading it explicitly, you've you've heard it before. So I grew up um, hearing that verse over and over and over in the churches I went to. I heard it so many times, and so much of the time it was out of context. When I was introduced to expositional preaching and the Bible's theology of the sovereignty of God and the necessity of the Word as the final authority. When I was introduced to a sort of biblical, the, the biblical theology of uh, the Reformed tradition, I had a lot of baggage, right? So all these years later, I see that some of the items in some of those bags were good, right? I'm, I'm trying to get them back, the good ones. Uh, but I had a lot of baggage, and some of it was, was not good. This is a verse that I heard so many times, and again, it was usually out of context. And this verse is highlighting, interestingly, the sufficiency of God and the fact that God is judged. So who's there? Psalm 5010. Robert, you want to read that? Uh, 10B, 5010B. Just B? Yes. Okay. Uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. 10. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe 9 and 10. <laughs> All right. Uh, 9. I will not accept the four house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah. So this verse is showing us, and really the context of Psalm 50 is showing us that the Lord is self-sufficient. If you read a little further, he says, if I were hungry, would I tell you, creature? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm God. He's self-sufficient, and he's also the great judge. But usually when I heard this verse, <laughs> Uh, it was taught uh, sort of with this disposition. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Therefore, you being a child of God, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. So go and possess the land. It's yours for the taking. Have y'all heard that before? But you are the child of Some of you eight. have. Don't even get me started, George. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so it assumes God's goodness, like I think a spoiled child, rather than a humble, grateful, and thankful adopted son or daughter, right? We don't approach God assuming his goodness. 
And James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So God gives his gifts in order to provide for the needs of his people. He is a God of providence. He's a God of providence. Louis Burkhoff defined providence as God's continued activity in the world for the realization of his plan. So going back to what I said a couple seconds ago, God gives his gifts in order to provide for the needs of his people. So that's true, which it is. What is the area of our greatest need? What's the area of our greatest need? Salvation, peace with God, going from uh, being at war with God to being at peace with God, going from there being strife um, and being enemies of God to being a friend of God. That is our greatest need. And what has God provided for us in that? His son, he's provided salvation. We need to be saved from the wrath of God and brought back into right relationship with him. And so the God who provides has provided Jesus, the lamb without blemish who was crucified for us, who Romans 4.25 says was raised for our justification, right? So when the believer prays, our father, give us our daily bread, he first recognizes that his greatest need has been met, that he's been given Christ's righteousness as his own. And he starts there. Even when thinking about daily bread, which we'll get to, practical things, he starts with my greatest need has been met. God has given me what I cannot provide myself, which is a righteousness, namely Christ's righteousness. So he can call God Father because he's been given the bread of life. Now, while we recognize that that is true and essential, we also recognize that God does even graciously provide our daily needs, our everyday needs. So food, water, clothes, a roof over our heads. So the carrying out of God's plan through his providence and second causes by which he cares for us includes rain, sun, clothes, shelter, right? Now it's, it's interesting that in the same uh, chapter, a few verses later, after Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he tells them not to be anxious, right? So in Matthew 6, 25 to 33, you could turn there. We'll just read it together. He tells them not to be anxious. And he does it by pointing to God's care for the daily, their daily needs through his providence. So Matthew 6, 25 to 33, I'll, I'll read it for us. So verse 25 says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So verse 25, eat, drink, put on, right? Food, water, clothes. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26 Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's a rhetorical question. You can't. And why are you anxious about clothing, what you will put on? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither grow, um, uh, they, sorry, they, they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Verse 29, yet I tell you, even Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So he doesn't point to um, a shepherd. He points to Solomon, right? The, the wealthiest and the wealthiest man um, in human history. Uh, and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into an oven, he will not much more clothe you. Will, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The most basic human needs, right? Food, water, clothes. Don't be anxious. Verse 4, uh, 32 for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. He points to the most basic, basis human needs, and he says, your heavenly Father knows. Don't be concerned about what you will eat or drink or wear. Now, this is just a few verses after Christ teaching them. Pray in this way, asking for your daily bread, meeting our daily needs. In this petition, we're saying that, Lord, in your sovereign providence, please give us what we need. As you care for us, please provide us with the things we require for life in this world. He's providing our daily needs. Now, <clears throat> Uh, thinking on this uh, daily bread, R.C. Sproul said this, this petition of the Lord's Prayer then teaches us how to come to God in a spirit of humble dependence, asking him to provide what we need and to sustain us from day to day. We are not given license to ask for great riches, but we are encouraged to make our needs known to him, trusting that he will provide. And I'll add, trusting what he provides, that he will provide, and what he provides. Um, so one more thing before we um, move on. So God does provide our basic needs um, and our ordinary needs through his providence by giving sun, rain, clothes, shelter. But this is what it doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that we can lay around and be lazy and negligent. In other words, men, uh, the Lord provides our needs also through work. Your nine to five is the Lord's provision for you, right? So a few verses. Proverbs twenty six fifteen says, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 19.24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not bring it back to his mouth. Different, but the same. He buries his hand in the dish and he's too lazy, sluggardly to bring it back to his mouth. 
And of course, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, in the plainest terms says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And this isn't speaking to ability, this is speaking to desire. Um, it doesn't say if he doesn't work, it's, um, it says if he's not willing to work. It doesn't say if he can't work, right? It says if he's not willing to work, let him not eat. Again, God provides our daily regular needs through also honest employment. Regular, honest employment, right? So I want to draw that out just to um, bring out that the Lord's provision for us is um, in his common goodness and through his providence, it's through sun, it's through rain, it's through crops, right? Um, but it's also through um, working, a regular job, right? And I, again, I come from a church tradition and background that um, I've even myself <laughs> in the past said and thought, well, the Lord will provide my needs. I don't need to get a job. Right? I was living at home with my mom. I was like, I don't need to get a job right now. I'm okay. The, the Lord will provide what I need. And I remember my mom even then graciously saying, well, you also need a job. <laughs> and I was super spiritual. I was like, no, you know, I'm going to go out and evangelize and come home and eat up all your food and then go out and evangelize again. And glory be to God. He's good. Evangelize. That's, that's not the point. But men are called to work. And the Lord provides our needs in that way as well. So let's think about this together. Again, this is a prayer. I want us to think about how to pray in light of these things together. Um, so this petition, give us this day our daily bread. How can we pray for ourselves and others um, in a way that lines up with this petition? Or praise God for, in a way that lines up with his provision as we see it in this petition. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Things that we can pray for ourselves and each, or each other in a way that lines up with this petition. Strength and uh, wisdom and in, in your vocation, diligence in your vocation. Amen, amen. Yep, amen. Diligence, strength, wisdom, and the vocation that the Lord has given you, right? Yep, amen. Norm? Borrow the words of uh, the here. Now counts forever. There are times in our field of work where we're down to, you know, he is uh, repetition. What's the point? Yeah. Now counts forever. Uh, the immensity, the infinity of the Trinity is involved in every moment. Good hmm. stuff. upon the Lord for daily bread. Um, there are so many Old Testament passages I wanted to bring out um, in this. I'm thinking about them, but I don't have time for them. 
But um, no, those are good. So the Lord providing our daily needs. Um, uh, I'm telling Israel, gather what's sufficient for, uh, what, gather for today. Uh, and only for today, they gathered more than that day. What they gathered rotted. It was to show that I am your provider daily, right? So the heart disposition is the Lord is my provider. He gives all things that I need. We don't become lazy. Um, the Lord works through providence and uh, regular, ordinary means. But the heart disposition is the Lord is my provider. The Lord gives me what I need. Um, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Another thing we see in Psalms that points to God as the provider. Right? Okay. <clears throat> Let's jump to the next petition. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So at the beginning of this class, we talked about the Acts acrostic, um, that helpful little guide that helps us to remember the elements of prayer. And so the C in that acrostic, confession of sin. Now, when we think about confession of sin, um, as we transition to forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors, when we think about confession of sin, uh, we don't want to be people who respond to uh, the Roman Catholic theology of prayer by letting bad theology affect the truth about prayer, right? So in other words, we'll say, well, Roman Catholics make confession and they make confession to a priest and they make confession to priests, but they'll never find forgiveness in that way. They should know that, right? They need to know that they need to turn to Christ. And so we respond to an apologetic for Roman, Roman Catholic uh, theology by subconsciously denying an essential element in our own prayer, which is confession. We ought to be making confession of our prayers. We ought to be confessing to God. Christians um, who understand God in themselves should have confession of sin as a regular part of our prayer lives. And so Jesus tells us to ask the Father to forgive us our debts. So for most of you, if you just started thinking about the Lord's Prayer, and specifically this part of the petition, you probably naturally say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. When, when I was a, a boy, my brothers and I, we shared a room, and sometimes when we got mad at each other, whatever side of the room our dresser was on became our side of the room. Right, so we would make a little wall with uh, Hot Wheel tracks or belts. And this is my side. That's your side. Don't come over here. And even if we would walk up to the side of the room and just put our hand over <laughs> the border, we get so mad. And a push would turn into a slap. A slap would turn into us fighting. Dad would come in. You and you come in. And you're in trouble because of this made-up border you put out. We felt like the other transgressed. They, they came, they stepped over the line. They stepped over the border that was set for them. You had to build the wall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just going to skip right past that one. <laughs> so, um, but in that, in that situation, what happened is that we, we felt we trespassed. Right? And what does trespass mean? It means to go beyond the boundary by violating a law. So when we trespass on someone's property, 
we violate the physical boundary they have put in place. Now, whether we say trespass or debts here, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts, well, both communicate sin. And what is sin? Sin is the want of, anybody know the catechism? I'm just going to throw it out. What is sin? Who knows the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism? Missing the mark. Yes, it is missing the mark. Looking for something different, but that's true. What's, what's that? <laughs> Anybody know? What's that? Yes. Want of or conformity, want of conformity to, or, or transgression of the law of God. Right? So God made us, and by virtue of his being his creatures, we owe God worship and obedience. So when we actively disobey or passively deny God the worship he deserves, we put ourselves in debt to God. In other words, we owe him something. And so when we ask for his forgiveness, we are asking that he forgive our debt, right? So the Bible uses this picture when it talks about people with hardened hearts as well. It uses the picture of um, someone storing up wrath, right? So Romans 4.25 says, because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. So if you picture a UPS worker, he's un unloading and loading a truck. He's taking boxes, putting them on a truck. He's loading the truck. He's loading the truck. The Bible uses this type of picture to talk about how the unbeliever stores up wrath against themselves in the day of wrath. Now, if we ask what the nature of our debt against God is, <clears throat> the fact that God is, has perfect standards, he is perfect, he is holy, and requires us to be holy even as he is holy gives us a glimpse. The fact that he is perfect, he calls us to be perfect as he is perfect. So with one sin, one trespass, our heart of heart or deed, we fall short of the glory of God. And then James 2.10 says, for everyone uh, who keeps, for everyone keeps, sorry, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Now, if one sin makes us indebted to God with the consequence of eternal condemnation, what do you do with a lifetime of sin, offenses, or debt? <clears throat> In addition to this, we, have, uh, we are totally unable to change ourselves. Jeremiah 13, 20, 23 says, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard change his spots? Then also can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. We are sinners in need of God's forgiveness. And for the believer, God has graciously granted that forgiveness on the basis of Christ's righteousness. Now, Jesus adds to this petition, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. In the last few minutes, I want to sort of talk through that. What does it mean? <clears throat> Does it mean that if we refuse to forgive others, then we prove that we haven't been forgiven ourselves? Um, not exactly, but it could. Maybe an instance of a person struggling to forgive uh, doesn't mean that they're not saved. Um, and we all know that um, 
God forgave us, if God forgave us to the extent that we forgave others, we would be hopeless. Uh, we would perish. So this isn't um, a sort of God does this, you do that. God does this, you do that. That's not what he's saying here. Um, none of us are able to match God in his forgiving. But this commandment, uh, or this, this part of the prayer, as it even brings out God's steadfast love um, for the Christian is not conditional, but uh, aspiration. We'll put it that way. We don't forgive others to earn God's forgiveness. If that's the case, and Jesus is telling us to earn merit to be forgiven. Rather, in light of us being forgiven, we should be ready, positioned, eager to forgive. Right, so Sproul says here, Jesus makes this point in his parables, stressing that since we are forgiven much, we should have a deep spirit of charity towards other people. <laughs> How can we refuse to forgive someone who has offended us when the whole reason we are able to live in the kingdom of God is that we have received forgiveness? Now, let's look at a few scriptures here as we close this out that sort of informs our thoughts and hearts when we think about this Ephesians 34 6 God proclaims his holy character before Moses when he says the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty what has God done for us in Christ to clear the guilty. He's forgiven our sin on the basis of the blood of Christ. Romans 3 says that God put forth Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In that, God is shown to be just by upholding his righteous standard and justifier by sending his only begotten son to make payment for sin. And this is for those who have faith in Christ. Romans 3, 23 to 24 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scripture and was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Someone go to Philippians 2, read 6-8 and then someone else go to 1 Peter 2, 22-25. Philippians 2, 6 to 8, and then 1 Peter 2, 22 to 25. Anthony, you want to read Philippians 2? And then 1 Peter 2? Robert? Philippians 2, 6 to 8. Yep. Thank you. First Peter. First, uh, first Peter 2, 22 to 25. Yep. Uh, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay, thank you. 
Now, because that's true for the one who has faith in Christ um, and has been forgiven, Colossians 3, 12 to 14 can say, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this petition, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, is reminding us of the depth of our own sinfulness. We don't confess our sin to a priest sitting inside of a dark booth, but we do uh, confess our sin to, to God. And we have daily need for a confession. So we confess our sin to God knowing that we have a high priest who is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the uh, place behind the curtain. And this priest, after he made a single offering, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we are being sanctified, which means there's remaining sin. So we ask for forgiveness and we extend forgiveness. <clears throat> now, in closing here, or do you feel like you're someone who extends forgiveness freely, willingly, uh, joyfully, even when it's hard? Do you feel like you're someone who is forgiving? When we are not at times, <laughs> I confess. Um, we don't forgive as we want to. We don't forgive as we desire to at times. At times we want to hold on to grudges, um, forgetting that we've been cleansed from our former sins. But again, this is a prayer. This is Jesus teaching his disciples, teaching us how to pray. So how can we think through this and pray in a way that's consistent with this petition? Just throw out some things. Extending that forgiveness and uh, making sure your own heart before the Lord is right, and then leaving, yeah. Yeah, just to say, you have to forgive him as soon as you're done with prayer, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's the, it's the process of, uh, of dealing with that, but, you know, I've always, you know, I've always, you know, in the past, been possible, I think, the verse 14, you know, I don't know if you were going to look to look for that, but it says, for you forgive others for the transgressions you heavenly father yeah. So it's kind of an interesting thing because it's like, does that mean that you don't forgive? He doesn't forgive you? It's kind of like that. You know, it poses that question. But I think it's if you are God, you will forgive. Mm. You know, it's kind of like an interesting thing. 
yeah, you, yeah, you have a disposition of, uh, of, of extending, willing to extend forgiveness. Um, and it's rooted in the fact that you have been forgiven. Now, we're uh, complex <laughs> creatures, um, relationships and situations. Um, we, at times, need to work through, like you said, a, a bitterness that, that may be there. Um, that at times is there and even that we're praying and working through um, but even in that having a disposition of extending forgiveness which is watered by the gospel as it pours into your own mind and so as you recall your transgressions it waters your own ability to extend forgiveness even as you're working through different seasons where there may be bitterness or even hardness there's even praying about that lord help me in my own heart to to work through this help me in my own heart to extend forgiveness to this person we've all been we've all offended and we've all been sinned against and so this is a it's a it's a prayer this jesus in teaching us to pray in this way he's not um he recognizes not because he sent himself but he's recognized recognizes our creatureliness we have transgressions that need to be forgiven. And so we, we do pray in that way. We pray about those offenses. We pray about our own bitter, bitterness. And we have a disposition that says, I'm willing to extend forgiveness because of what the Lord has done uh, for me in Christ. And so it's a, it's a forgiveness that's watered by the gospel, right? But any other thoughts as we close out? Um, it's also important to remind ourselves that every creature that we interact with every you know, other human is made in the image of God yeah. they will transgress us but like you said if, we, if God forgave us how we forgive others it yeah. would be hopeless so to remember to deny ourselves and, and see everyone else as the image bearer of God yeah, yeah. yep I'm in with something I heard from Piper some, some years ago that I've never forgotten um he said, every, every sin that has ever been committed will be dealt with. God is just. Right? He doesn't sweep sin under a rug. The person either um, will be saved if they are elect, and Christ has taken the wrath of God for that person's sins, even the ones against you, or that person um, will not be saved and will have to endure the wrath of God for all eternity for that sin, even the one against you. And so it, I know my, it, it positions my heart better when I think about um, that, that reality. We are embodied souls, and the soul will end up <laughs> somewhere. They're elect with, with God if they are not uh, under God's righteous judgment for all eternity. We don't know, but we pray and we ask God to help us to forgive, and we extend that forgiveness uh, in light of what God has done for us in Christ. All right, so let me pray for us and we can close out. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your kindness toward us. We thank you for providing our daily bread, and we thank you for um, the, for, the forgiveness that you give us in Christ. You have um, poured upon Christ the wrath that we deserve so that we can be brought close and now approach you as Abba Father. And Lord, um, we uh, pray that you would uh, help these things 
to sort of settle in our hearts as we learn and walk through the Lord's Prayer and these petitions. Pray that you would inform our thinking and our conscience, our wills, our affections, and um, may you uh, guide us by your word. And Lord, bless us now as we go into the sanctuary to worship with the saints corporately in our singing and our praying and our reading and our eating of the Lord's Supper. Um, may you make us to be attentive to your word with reverence and awe. And may you bless us in that way. In Christ's name, amen.